Hello, thank you for listening to this sermon from our Revive service. We hope it helps you learn more about God and allow you to grow closer to Him and in your faith. Morning. Good to see each of you. Children are dismissed for Children's Church. Hope you have a great time with Mrs. Nylinger. We uh, continue our series, Characters of Faith, this morning. So if you have your Bibles, you're willing and able, would you turn them to the book of Exodus? Exodus, we're actually going to read a couple larger sections of scripture today um, to kind of lay out a foundation for where we want to go. And uh, so thankful each of you are here. Glad that we can open up the word together. Glad that we can worship our great Lord together too. So if you would, if you're willing and able, would you stand with me? And Exodus chapter 2, we're going to begin. Don't worry, I'm not going to read all that Moses has to say about his life. Uh, we, I believe that Moses wrote the fifth, first five books called the Pentateuch, the law. Isn't it amazing? Uh, you know, you start hearing about Moses here uh, in, uh, in the book of Exodus, and then he keeps talking. Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. We won't read all those books this morning, okay? Okay, um, I didn't hear any amen, so maybe we should, no, I, we won't do that, but we want to we want to catch a glimpse a little bit of what Moses's life and then we want to look at how the writer of Hebrews speaks about this man that the law of Moses the law that was passed down hinged upon this man and yet the writer of Hebrews has some strong things to say about this man this character of faith so we're going to start in Hebrew or Hebrews Exodus chapter 2 um, and verses 1 through 22, and then we're going to flip over to chapter 12 and read some verses there as well. So let's start here, Exodus chapter 2, verses 1 through 22. Now a man from the house of Levi went and took as his wife a Levite woman. The woman conceived and bore a son, and when she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him three months. When she could hide him no longer, she took for him a basket made of bulrushes and daubed it with and pitch, she put in the child in it and placed it among the reeds by the riverbank. And his sister stood at a distance to know what would be done of him. Now the daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river while her young women walked beside the river. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her servant woman, and she took it. When she opened it, she saw the child, and behold, the baby was crying. She took pity on him and said, This is one of the Hebrews' children. Then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and call you a nurse from the Hebrew women to nurse the child for you? And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Go. So the girl went and called the child's mother. And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this child away and nurse him for me, and I will give you your wages. So the woman took the child and nursed him. When the child grew older, she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. She named him Moses because... Um, she said, I drew him out of the water. One day when Moses had grown up, he went out to his people and looked on their burdens. And he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his people, or yes, one of his people. He looked this way and that and seeing no one, he struck down the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. When he went out the next day, behold, two Hebrews were struggling together. And he said to the man in the wrong, why do you strike your companion? He answered, who made you a prince and judge over us? Do you mean to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? 
Then Moses was afraid and thought, Surely the thing is known. When Pharaoh heard of it, he sought to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and stayed in the land of Midian, and he sat down by a well. Now the priests of the Midian had seven daughters, and they came and drew water and filled the trough to water their father's flock. The shepherds came and drove them away, but Moses stood up and saved them and watered their flock. When they had come home to their father, Raoul, he said, How is it that you have come home so, so soon today? And they said, An Egyptian has delivered us out of the hand of the shepherds, and even drew water for us and watered the flock. He said to his daughters, Then where is he? Why have you left the man? Call him that he may eat bread. And Moses was content to dwell with the man, and he gave Moses his daughter Zipporah. She gave birth to a son, and he called his name Gershom, for he said, I have been a sojourner in a foreign land. If you take over, flip over a little bit now, a few chapters to chapter 12. And we'll read through verse 41. Like I said, we're reading a little bit today. Chapter 12, Exodus chapter 12, verse 1. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, This month shall be for you the beginning of months, and it shall be the first month of the year for you. To all the congregation of Israel on the tenth day of this month, every man shall take a lamb according to their father's houses, a lamb for a household. If the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his nearest neighbor shall take according to the number of persons, according to that which each can eat, you shall make your, your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male a year old, and you may take it from the sheep or from the goats, and you shall keep it until the fourteenth day of the month, when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. Then they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of the house in which they shall eat, in which they eat it. And they shall eat the flesh that night, roasted on the fire, with unleavened bread and bitter herbs they shall eat it. Do not eat any of it raw or boiled in water, but roasted, its head with its legs and its inner parts. And you shall not and you shall let none of it remain until the morning. Anything that remains until the morning you shall burn. In this manner you shall eat it, with your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. And you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. For I will strike through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and on all the gods of Egypt. I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you, and on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. This day shall be for you a memorial day, and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations. As a statue forever, you shall keep it as a feast. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. On the first day you shall remove leaven out of your houses. For if anyone eats what is leavened from the first day until the seventh day, that person shall be cut off from Israel." On the first day you shall hold a holy assembly, and on the seventh day a holy assembly. No work shall be done on these days, but what everyone needs to eat, that alone may be prepared by you. And you shall observe the Feast of Unleavened Bread. For on this very day I brought your hosts out of the land of Egypt. Therefore you shall observe this day throughout your generations as a statue forever. On the first month 
from the 14th day of the month at evening, you shall eat unleavened bread until the 21st day of the month at evening. For seven days, no leaven is to be found in your houses. If anyone eats what is leavened, that person shall be cut off from the congregation of Israel, whether he is a sojourner or a native of the land. You shall eat nothing leavened in all of your dwelling places. You shall eat unleavened bread. Then Moses called all the elders of Israel and said to them, Go and select lambs for yourselves according to your clans, and kill the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop and dip it in the blood that is in the basin, and touch the lintel and the two doorposts with the blood that is in the basin. None of you shall go out of the door of the house until the morning, for the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians. And when he sees the blood on the lintel and on the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and will not allow the destroyer to enter your houses to strike you. You shall observe this right as a statue for you and for your sons forever. And when you come to the land that the Lord will give you, as he has promised, you shall keep this service. And when your children say to you, what do you mean by this service? You shall say, it is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover. For he passed over the houses of the people of Israel in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians but spared our houses. The people bowed their heads and they worshipped. Then the people of Israel went and did so, and the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron, so they did. At midnight, the Lord struck down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh, who sat on his throne, to the firstborn of the captive, who was in the dungeon, and all the firstborn of the livestock. And Pharaoh rose up in the night, he and his servants, and all the Egyptians, and there was a great cry in Egypt, for there was not a house where someone was not dead. Then he summoned Moses and Aaron by night, and said, Up, go from among my people, both you and the people of Israel, and go, serve the Lord as you have said. Take your flocks and your herds as you have said, and be gone, and bless me also. The Egyptians were urgent with the people to send them out of the land in haste, for they said, We shall all be dead. So the people took their dough before it was leavened, and their kneeling bowls being bound up in their cloaks on their shoulders. The people of Israel had also done as Moses told them, for they had asked the Egyptians for silver and gold jewelry and for clothing. And the Lord had given the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians so that they let them uh, have what they asked. Thus they plundered the Egyptians. And the people of Israel journeyed from Ramses to Succoth, about 600,000 men on foot, besides women and children. A mixed multitude also went up with them, and very much livestock, both flocks and herds. And they baked unleavened cakes of the dough that they had brought out of Egypt. For it was not leavened, because they were thrust out of Egypt and could not wait, nor had they prepared any provisions for themselves. The time that the people of Israel lived in Egypt was 430 years. At the end of 430 years, on that very day, all the hosts of the Lord went out from the land of Egypt. It was a night of watching by the Lord to bring them up out of the land of Egypt. So this same night is a night of watching kept by the Lord uh, by all the people of Israel throughout their generations. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. You may be seated. Thanks for reading and follow along with me there. Sometimes I just want to read the word and just sit down and say, hey, go live it. And uh, because there's the power of the word of God. And I hope that you believe that. I hope you know that. I hope that's what drives you to the word every day. Um, because while preachers are great, theologians are great, um, and, and teachers are great, 
Um, it's the word of the Lord that's powerful. It's not the word of man. God uses men uh, to explain and to declare the truths of God's word. And so we, we know that faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. And so somebody has to proclaim the word of God. But let me encourage you, uh, I, I, one of the reasons why we read so much scripture here on a Sunday morning is because I want you to know the importance and how critical it is that we are in the word of God. We can do a lot of different things. We can sing a lot of songs. I can preach to you for an hour and a half, which I won't do this morning, but it's the word of God. If we don't do anything else except for declare and, and to speak the word of God and pray and talk to our Lord, then we have worshiped well. And so I hope that as you think about a, a philosophy, a theology of church, that as you move forward, that that will continue to be part of your thinking. The word of God needs to be proclaimed. Amen. And so we've done that this morning. How about we go to the Lord in prayer and ask him to come and meet with us. Lord, we are so grateful and thankful for your word. Lord, we are privileged to be able to have um, so many different copies of it. Lord, we, 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 we glean, we gain from your word so much. And yet we, we become complacent because we have it just at our fingertips, Lord. And yet, Lord, we, as we dig in this morning, we pray that your spirit would use your word to come alive in our minds and our hearts. That what, we, what we've read and what we're going to see, Lord, that it would just take root in our heart and it would just grow, Lord. That, that your spirit would grow your word in our minds, in our hearts, through our hands and through our feet or through our lips. That we may proclaim your goodness, that we would display your beauty and your glory. Lord, may our lives not be centered around ourselves or even this church. Lord, we want our lives in this church to be centered around our Savior, Jesus Christ. Lord, to be centered around you and for your glory. And so, Lord, we are honored and privileged to be able to come and to open up your word. And as we've read it and as we dig into it, Lord, may those truths uh, just help define how we live out our faith. And we pray this in the precious name of our Savior, Jesus the Christ. Amen. So kind of going back to the beginning of Exodus, we see this character Moses. And, uh, and Moses, as we see, he comes from uh, the Levite line. And if you trace back to the beginning of the book of Exodus, uh, we see kind of a layout for us of, of here are the sons of Israel, the, the sons of Jacob. And we know uh, that Joseph was a big, big part of that. We, if you're reading the story of Genesis, it leads to Joseph providing uh, not only for himself, but even though his brothers threw him away and cast him out and he went uh, and sold into slavery and, and was, was taken to Egypt, that was part of God's provision and God's plan for uh, not only for Joseph, but for Jacob and Jacob's family. And so we see the beginning of Exodus here that, uh, that Israel, the names of the sons of Israel who came to Egypt were Jacob, were these 12 tribes, right? The 12 tribes of Israel are coming and, 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 and get their beginning here, all right? The 12 tribes of Jacob, 12 tribes of Israel, and uh, Levi is one of those sons and we see that Moses comes from one of those sons. So Levi, we see the beginning, a man from the house of Levi went and took as a wife a Levite woman. Now we see that when 
Jacob and his sons come into Egypt. Their starts uh, in Exodus chapter 1 verse 5 says there were 70 persons. Um, I didn't say that. The English language is crazy. All right. I would call it 70 people, but there's 70 persons. All right. That was a joke, by the way. If you don't know, I struggle with my grammar. All right. But 70 persons are coming in and start in Egypt. And when you see this great story in the time where, where here there, there rises a new Pharaoh, a new king of Egypt, who has forgotten the story of Joseph, who forgets who he is, and his, and his, uh, his family and the 12 tribes of Israel. We see they start with 70, but by the end here we see as they're exiting, thus Exodus, the book of Exodus, as they're exiting Egypt, how many people are there? Over 600,000 men. That's not women and children, it says. Over 600,000 men. So you go from 70 to 600,000 men. That's quite the difference, right? And so we see through this period of time how God's hand was upon his people, blessing them, providing for them, and yet they're in anguish and they're crying out to, for God for help. And so uh, they're, they're under this bondage, even though they are great in multitude, uh, we see that they're, they're in need of help. Thus, we see this character of Moses. Moses starts and we see that he is a Levite's son. His parents, as we see, are critical in helping the story that God has written uh, for the deliverance of these over 600,000 men. Probably one, maybe may closer to one and a half million people who are going to walk out of, of, of Egypt. How do they get out? Who's their leader? If you've read this in between chapter 2 and chapter 12, you know there's quite a bit that goes on. And, and again, I chose not to read all of that for you this morning, but you can go back this week and reread it and re-dig in and study it. And, uh, but let's look what the writer of Hebrews has to say because he will help kind of sum up for us this character of faith of Moses. So uh, again, if you are able and willing, flip over to Hebrews chapter 11. And we will look at five verses, uh, six verses, chapter or verse 23 through 28. And the first verse really kind of talks about Moses's parents. All right. In verse 23, Hebrews 11, by faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. So we see here Moses's parents, uh, Fearing God more than they feared man. And we see the story of the midwives. And they have a really cool story when they're confronted by Pharaoh of why they're continuing to deliver these baby boys. All right. But, but Moses' parents have this, uh, have this son. And, and they had evidently they at least had one other girl because Moses' daughter was by the bank. We read that about how she goes to see what transpires of this baby when he's put into uh, this uh, this protected covering and put in the river and pushed downstream that he may be protected and delivered. Um, but they did that. Not They had this son and they didn't allow him to be put to death because they didn't fear what the king had said. That they feared God more. They weren't going to, um, to kill this child or allow this child to die. Again, when you think about your theology of life, 
and, and the importance of life. I think, again, not only in the New Testament, but especially we see in the Old Testament, every life is critical and important. And so God values life. And here is the life of this boy um, because he was beautiful. I love that phrase. Uh, and, and I don't know if you've ever looked at your child when your child was born. Uh, some babies are really, really cute. And other babies come out and they're not quite so cute. But uh, over the span of time, all right, there's this a few months that transpire. And they see the beauty of this boy. And I wonder if it, some of it wasn't the, as this little child was growing in those few months there, they, they saw some of these characteristics of this fun-loving, beautiful little boy, and, uh, and, and they loved their son. And because of that, by faith, uh, the writer of Hebrews says here, um, he, when he was born, he was hidden for three months. Then we move into the next verse, verse 24. It says, by faith, Moses... When he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. So as we look and, and, and see this, as Moses was growing up, we know that, again, the story that we read, the part of the story in Exodus uh, that we read is as Moses was sent downstream or upstream, hard to go upstream if you don't have paddles, so it was probably downstream, um, and Pharaoh's daughter rescues this child. Uh, the need of this child being, being nursed was critical and important. And again, uh, just kind of cool how God works. Not only did, did God protect Moses, but then God provided for his family, so his mom got paid to nurse him. I mean, kind of, again, when, when sometimes when we release things and we give them to the Lord, he gives them back twofold. And, uh, and so we see uh, Moses' mother is nursing him. He grows up with her. There are some uh, scholars who believe that once Moses was weaned, that he went back uh, to Pharaoh's daughter. Um, we see that he was grown. All right. And so I believe that Moses was probably a little older uh, be, because of what we see in his heart. OK. And we see this text where where he as he has grown up, he understands the way of Israel. He understands the teaching of who God is and the teaching of his people. And so he he is he's been given this understanding, which he would not have gotten under Pharaoh, uh, Pharaoh's daughter, he would not have gotten that biblical or, or uh, what we would say, a, a God view. He would have gotten a God's view, all right, a multi-God view uh, of, of teaching under Pharaoh. And yet he had some of this understanding, uh, I think, I believe, from his mother and his father and heritage that was passed to him. And as he saw this, he was grown up, he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. And so we see in Exodus that he is claimed as Pharaoh's son, right? But yet here, the writer of Hebrews helps us to see that while she claimed him as his son, he, he rejected that. And the writer of Hebrews gives us uh, some great insight here. Choosing what? Choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. How many of you would sign up for that today? 
I won't ask for you to raise your hand, but not a lot of us would sign up for, uh, for mistreatment. Usually when I get mistreated, I get a little upset. Or somebody that's around me that I love, that they get mistreated, I come to defend them. I don't say, oh, man, that is so much better. That's so much better than enjoying the pleasures of my own desires or the pleasures of the world. The next sentence that the writer of Hebrews tells us, he considered the reproach of Christ, which you have to stop and pause and you have to say, okay, wait, this is the Old Testament story of Moses. How did he know about Christ, right? Like how did, how did Christ even factor into this in his faith? Well, we see all throughout this chapter in Hebrews about the faith of these characters that was leading to something greater. It was to a promise that was to come. It was to a land that they had not yet obtained. Not just the land for Israel, the land called heaven. The, the, the relationship with God that was to come beyond just on this earth. And so here, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God instead of the pleasures of sin, he considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth. And so while he saw this coming, and I, I don't get it all, I don't understand it all, how could he have seen Christ? All I know is the Bible is true, right? And the writer of Hebrews is saying he saw something in the coming Messiah, the coming Christ, the coming deliverer. Moses was that deliverer for the nation of Israel to deliver them out of Egypt. He was kind of that foregoing character that would proceed the coming deliverer for the world. To proclaim the, the forgiveness of sins of the world. That's Jesus. Moses didn't have the ability to forgive the sins of the world. But Moses delivered the nation of, of Israel. He was the deliverer. Jesus came as the deliverer of all of our sins for the whole world. And so we see here the reproach of Christ. Uh, and, and as he considered the reproach of Christ, it was greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt. Again, you have to put yourself back in time. You've got to put yourself there as Moses is there, as he's living in Pharaoh's house. And all the treasures, all the things that are right there at his fingertip. He could have snapped, he could have said, and it was being done. There wasn't anything off limits for him. He had the power, he had prestige, he had money, he had fame. His status and his title, how could you get any better? And yet, what did he do? He laid it all to the side. Why? The writer of Hebrews tells us in verse 26, for he was looking to the reward. He was looking to the reward, meaning it wasn't a reward to gain and to have all of these things that Egypt had, that the world had to offer. He was looking for something greater. I don't know about you, but I forget that sometimes. John warns us in 1 John, that what our world has to offer, the lust of the eyes, the lust of, of the flesh, and the pride of life, reject these things. And chances are, I don't know you really, really well, but chances are, sometime this past week, you've probably struggled with one of those. All right? If you've gone out shopping, which is one of the reasons why I 
try not to go shopping. Because um, did you know when you walk into Sam's Club that you didn't realize how much more you needed until you walked in there? There was a period of time where Lisa actually banned me from going to Sam's Club. It's like, she's like, you are not allowed to go. I'm like, I'm not? It's like, no, I'm really serious. Like, you're not allowed to go. The things of this world, they can quickly um, become our focus because we live in the flesh. And Paul tells us that we wrestle with this living by the flesh, living by the spirit. And so we want what we want. And in that desire, uh, we often miss the greater reward. Moses is a great example for us because he had everything at his fingertips. Now, we would say, well, I don't have all that at my fingertips, and I just want to see what it may look like or feel like, right? Let me tell you, Moses is a great example, and I don't think we have to experience it all to realize that what Moses saw right before him in the flesh and what he could touch and what he could see and what he could taste, it didn't compare to what the coming Christ had to offer him. And that's why he said, listen, I, I will consider this greater. I will consider the reproach of Christ greater because there is a greater reward coming. Jesus says it this way. He says, to deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. How many of you like to think about the burden of a cross and carrying that? In fact, oftentimes when we get weighted down, a lot of it's our own weights that we put on ourselves because Jesus says that his yoke is easy, his burden is light. But when we think about the cross and the weight of carrying a cross, uh, we want everything in our lives to be smooth. We want things to go extremely well. And when we start looking and seeing things so good and so well, we say, oh, God has blessed me. Let me encourage you, open up your Bible and read through the New Testament. Is that the kind of life that God promises those who follow him? That you'll be comfortable, that you'll have everything or most things that you desire. That's not the life that God promises. He promises us persecution and hardship, struggles. That the weight that we bear will sometimes seem overwhelming. And yet we, as we follow Christ, we think it's a blessing of God if our life is really simple and really easy and really good. And I'm here to say, to, to challenge that kind of thinking. It isn't the health and wealth that we see the gospel. It's actually suffering and persecution and trial and hardship that we see the beauty of the gospel. And so when we look at our lives and we look at Moses, what a great example for us is we see this man and character of faith that he had it all, all the world and his fingertips. And yet he said, no, I don't want any of that. There's something greater. It's a saying that says sin will take you farther than what you want to go and it will keep you longer than what you, when you want to stay and will cost you more than you want to pay. The pleasures of this world, while they are sweet for a season, they lead to destruction. 
if sin wasn't sweet, we wouldn't do it, right? I mean, we, we sin because we like it. And yet, the call to turn from sin, to abandon this world's thinking, and to pursue something greater. I want to read for you what John MacArthur has to say. He says, uh, now just what does this mean by the reproach of Christ? Well, there's a wonderful thought here. It would be a reproach that is similar to that which Christ endured. Although Moses didn't know about Christ and didn't know Christ, he knew that there was a promise of a coming deliverer. But we know, and the readers of Hebrews know, that he was willing to take a reproach to move from having things, having everything basically and not needing anything, from being honored and being treated with scorn and disdain as Christ was. He who was rich became what? Poor. Speaking of Christ, it's a wonderful thought, he writes. He bore reproach, the kind of reproach that is characteristic of Christ, who was infinitely rich, infinitely privileged, infinitely satisfied in the presence of God, and set it all aside to do the will of God, to come down, to suffer ill treatment on the behalf of the people of God. He is, in that sense, like Christ. Think about that. Think about the beauty of the story that we read about the Passover lamb and the blood that was put on the doorposts and lintel to signify the, that, that this house was the house of God and that that death angel would pass by and not kill the firstborn son. I have a son. And, and it's become real to me as my son gets older. What will a life look like if I would have experienced the death angel coming and taking my son? Not only my son, but my older brother. He is firstborn. And what about my dad? Because my dad is the only boy in his family, a firstborn son. And so when you start to think about how horrible this last uh, miracle of God displayed for uh, Pharaoh in Egypt, we see also in tune with that, this Lamb of God that John writes about in, in John chapter 1 when Moses, when uh, when John the Baptist sees Jesus walking by and he says, listen, there is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. It's this beautiful picture of this Passover lamb that Jesus would save us, that he would deliver us from our sin and the death that we deserved. Just as that lamb saved and delivered the firstborn sons, Jesus' blood was spilt and poured out for us. He displayed what that looks like in the sacrifice of the lamb. He was that sacrifice for you and me. What a beautiful picture for us that we see. And not only that, but that Jesus would leave heaven. As John MacArthur says here, that he had infinite. He had it all. He was, he was there with God. And yet, God the Father sent the Son to be the savior of the world, that Jesus would leave that and that he would come and obediently 
uh, obey the Father and go to the point, the point of death, the suffering that he endured on your and my behalf. So when you think about a suffering Savior, and you think about your life and how good it is, and then when we think about how much more we desire and want, what is there more to desire that this earth can offer to us? Who can offer you more than what God can offer to you? As we're going to look here in just a moment, I think sometimes we're scared to say as Christians that there are rewards in heaven. Let me tell you, I'm not afraid to say that anymore. I think it's something that we look forward to, and I think it's something that the writer of Hebrews says here in chapter 11. They're looking for something greater. Their reward is coming, that reward of being with God. Yes, but there are rewards that we see elsewhere in Scripture. The reward of serving God well during this time. The reward of proclaiming his message and his love. Of the, the message of suffering, of, of, of saying, I will sign up for this. I understand what it means to follow Jesus, and I'll sign up for that. I think part of our struggle in America, especially today, is when we share the gospel, we share this good news, but we don't help people to understand what they're really signing up for. It means they're signing up that you die to yourself and you're going to live for Christ. You understand that you have nothing to offer. That you're hopeless and helpless and that you need the love of God displayed in your life. And so you accept that free gift. But we take and say, okay, I need that free gift, but I want to keep living my life the way I want to. And that's not the gospel. That's not the truth of God's word. God doesn't want us to live however we desire to live. Yes, he's gifted us individually. Yes, he has blessed us. Yes, he continues to bestow his grace and mercy in different ways. But let me tell you, the longer we live in our world and the longer that we allow Jesus to manifest himself and his word in our lives, and the more we get serious about our faith, the more it will be hard and it will be difficult and it will be challenging. The more persecution the more hardship you will endure. It isn't if, it's when. Have you signed up for that? Moses, our character here says, yeah, I, I rejected this and I've signed up for this because I see a greater reward. Verse 27, by faith he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. Where was Moses' focus? His focus wasn't on the things of the world. His focus wasn't on, okay, I'm leaving Egypt, but I'm really scared about this Pharaoh dude. No, he wasn't concerned about Pharaoh. Why? Because he had already signed up. He knew what he signed up for, and he knew who he was trusting. He was trusting an invisible God. And yet he got to see displayed before him some visible signs, some visible things. And you say, well, I wish I could see some of those signs today. Open up your Bible and start reading it. And you'll see some visible signs that God has given to us. You say, well, I can't see it today. That's what it's called to live by faith. Amen. We want everything right before us. We think we're entitled to that. Well, God, if I'm going to trust you and I'm going to put my faith in you, then you have to show me. How arrogant of us as his creation to think that he's got to show us something more or something different. He's given it to us, but yet 
isn't God awesome? Like, isn't he so gracious and kind that, that even though we have all of this, he still at times displays his glory before us? He displays his power. He displays the wonder that when we look at it, we're like, man, God is so good. Only God could do this. So by faith, he left, not being afraid of the anger of the king, but he endured as seeing him who is invisible. That word endure, continuing on, continuing on. Do you think it was hard for Moses? You bet it was. Some commentators have said that, that the year, that it was roughly a year of plagues. Others have said it could be done in 40 days. All I know is as you go back and forth, it doesn't matter whether it's 40 days or a year, Moses is enduring a lot of hardship, not just from Pharaoh, but from the people of Israel. Oh, I thought you were here to deliver us. What are you doing? You're making us work harder now, right? Because they had to change the quota of their bricks, right? And now they don't even get straw on their bricks. By faith, he kept enduring, seeing him who is invisible. What a great picture. How do you see him who is invisible? How do you see something that's invisible? You talk to children who go to sleep at night and they're like, there's somebody in here. There's something in the closet. There's something under the bed, right? They can't see it, but it's invisible because they believe it. They believe it's real, even though they can't see it. Sometimes we forget that we worship and serve an invisible God, and yet he chooses at times to show himself. How does he show himself? Through his word, through the spirit of the living God that lives inside of us, and through his church. That's how I believe God shows himself. And sometimes he displays miraculous works. He hasn't stopped working miracles. He still does today. But I tell you what, he's not going to work miracles around people whose heart are hard. Why, why would he do that? You've already chosen. You've already rejected me. Here, Moses says in verse 28, by faith he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. We read that story from this side of the story, right? We read it and we hear it. We're like, oh yeah, that's pretty cool. That's good. No, go back to this. This is the first time. Like, this is the first time that somebody said, hey, I want you to get a lamb, and I want you to take it, and I want you to put its blood all over your doors, okay? The outside of your doors, I want you to do that, and I want you to eat all of it. And if you don't eat all of it, I want you to burn it up, okay? And I want you to have your shoes, your sandals on. I want you to have your rod and your staff, and I want everything packed up, ready to go. Like, okay, we've been here for how long? Uh, oh, yeah, 400, what is it, 430 years, right? So you go from 70 people to 600,000 men, 1.2, 1.5 million people. And God says, hey, this is what I want you to do. By faith, Moses says, I'm going to do this. And you need to do this. And the people believed. I think that speaks of Moses' faith as he proclaimed the truth. He kept the Passover and he sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. Here, Moses rejects the world, and here he gets delivered. It's a picture for us. If we reject what the world has to offer and we say, no, Jesus is worth it all, Jesus says, listen, I'm going to protect you. 
What can man do to you? Moses is the picture of the law. As the writer of Hebrews is displaying this, he's writing to a people that the law of Moses was everything. It's how they governed their lives. It's the picture of the law, Moses, the Mosaic law, or the law of Moses. So Moses' coming to God, to the Lord, by faith is crucial in the writer of Hebrews' purpose of writing. The writer of Hebrews, as he's writing, his purpose is to hold fast to the confession. He says that in chapter 3, verse 6, and verse 14. He says it in chapter 4, verse 14, and he says it again in chapter 10, verse 23. Hold fast to the confession. Hold fast to the confession of faith. Well, what is that confession of faith? We see that in Hebrews 1, 1 through 3. Jesus is the exact imprint of God, the Father, his nature. He upholds, Jesus upholds the universe by the word of his power. And he has made purification for sins. He has made right those who have sinned. Jesus, this is the proclamation that the writer of Hebrews started off his book with. And he's saying, Jesus has sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, meaning he has been given all authority. This is what we confess to you. And the writer of Hebrews gets to this point in Moses and displaying and saying, it's not about keeping the law. It's about keeping this confession of faith. And this is the confession that Jesus has taken care of our sin. It's not about doing. It's not about keeping all the laws. It's not about this, this standard that God had laid out for Israel to lay. No, it's about following Jesus. It's about giving him your life. It's about rejecting the world and what the world has to offer and to claim the goodness that Jesus has. So I offer to you two questions today. The first is this, life is made up of a lot of choices, is it not? You made a choice to come here today, and I'm thankful for that. And part of my prayer has been this week and this morning that you would be fed, that you would be encouraged that those who need convicted of their sin would turn from their sin. Those who are depressed and down and discouraged would find encouragement in the gospel. You made a choice to be here today. In a few moments, you're going to make a choice and you're going to stand up and you're going to leave. And then you're going to make a choice about where, what you're going to eat and where you're going to eat. Food's always high on my list of choices. Life is made up of choices. The most important choice that you have to make is who are you choosing? Who are you choosing? Who are you following? Moses says, listen, I am making a choice and my choice is not to have all of this stuff, to not have these titles, to not have this wealth, to not have all these things. My choice is to suffer like the coming Christ. When you choose Christ, is there anything better that this world has to offer? Is there anything that this whole universe could give you that is greater than choosing Jesus? The answer is, do you believe that? And we need to live that. Because that's the second question about our faith. How do your choices, how do my choices show my faith?
Moses was the model of a man of faith, and he believed in the word of God. When God spoke, when God declared what the truth was, Moses believed it. Were there times he struggled? You bet he was. He, he was a real man. Remember when he's out there in the wilderness and he comes to Moses and said, hey, I'm, gonna I'm, I'm choosing you to go lead the people out. He's like, uh, I, I, I can't speak. Come on, Moses, you can speak. Did you look, did you hear what he wrote? Like this man can speak. And yet he comes up with this excuse of like, I, I'm, I'm not a very good communicator. He struggles at times, but he is a man of faith. He is a man who walks by the word of God. And while we may struggle at times in our faith walk, let me encourage you, it is worth following Jesus. It is worth choosing him. It is worth when I make choices today to choose what is right. It is right of me to always choose what is biblical. It is always right to reject sin. If we would stop and look at sin before we start to dabble in it, because the truth is, usually we're tempted before we actually sin. Temptation is not sin. But temptation, when we give in to temptation, then we sin. Some of us, if we would look at the cost of that sin and where that leads, it would help us to prevent us from going and taking that step. I want you to stop and look at your choices that you're making. Even some of you today, what choices are you making today that are contrary to the faith that is required to follow Jesus? I'm telling you, it's worth repenting and turning from. Reject sin. For those of us who are striving, and yet when we fall, we have an intercessor who goes on our behalf. It doesn't give us a license to continue to do whatever we want to do. But we fall on the face, on our faces before the almighty God, realizing we fall short. We've missed the target and we need his grace. We need his help. We need his forgiveness. And so we come trusting him again, trusting that he will forgive us, trusting he will cleanse us from all of our unrighteousness when we confess our sin, trusting that as we walk, that he will give us all that we need, trusting that the spirit that lives inside of us is the same spirit of the living God who rose Jesus from the dead. That's the power that's in us. Are you making those choices with that in view? Moses did. We see his example. I don't know what God's calling you to, but I know God's calling you to live your life for him. And that may not be displayed, be displayed in leading 1.2 or 1.5 million people from a certain land to another land. But it may be just impacting the people that God has right there in your life, at your work, in your family, at school, your children, your grandchildren, your great-grandchildren. Let's be people of faith this day. Let's be people who display the beauty of rejecting what the world says and know there is something greater coming and I want that. Would you pray with me, Lord? We thank you for the truth of your word. Thank you for how 
You've displayed your glory to us. Thank you for the hope that we have through the saving blood of Jesus Christ, our Savior. And Lord, I pray this morning that if there's someone here who has not yet accepted Jesus as their Savior, that today they would claim him as their own. Lord, we're not worthy. Sometimes in our pride and our arrogance, we think that we deserve more. But when we truly humble ourselves, we realize we're not worthy to have all that we have. And I'm not talking about the world things, the physical things, material things. Lord, we're not worthy to experience your grace. We're not worthy to experience your forgiveness. We don't deserve your mercy. And yet, Lord, you've put it on full display for us. And you offer to us the great gift of salvation. And you've offered us a life eternally with you. Thank you for that, Lord. I pray that you will continue to be patient with us as we continue to try to live for you. As we live out our faith, Lord, may you be slow to anger with us. As your word says that you are. Lord, that you would continue to lead us and guide us. That your spirit as it dwells in us, would show us and reveal to us what your perfect and good will is. And Lord, may we make the choices that we need and that we know we should do in order to honor you, in order to proclaim your name, to reject sin and choose holiness. And sometimes in our choices, Lord, we choose to follow you we choose to honor you even above the security of our job or the security of friendship. Lord, I thank you for even the testimony of this hockey player, professional hockey player this week that, that stood up, that proclaimed the hope of the gospel, clearly shared about the, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And stood up for his belief and his trust in Jesus. That your word says that he's supposed to live a certain way. And that doesn't mean we don't love other people. That we reject them or we judge them. But we choose to live a life of faith by the standards that you've told us in your word, Lord. Help us to be bold like that. I thank you for Moses and the example that he shows to us. And I'm thankful, Lord, for those in our history that have also done that. And even before us now, those who continue to live their life, choosing to live it by faith, even though it may cost them. It's worth the cost. Because in reality, whatever we lose here, is nothing compared to what we gain in your presence. Give us that hope. Give us that view as we leave from here today. 
May your hand be upon each one that's here and those who are watching online, Lord. May you bless them and strengthen them and encourage them. May the blessings that we see and that we experience, may it proclaim your name. May it not just be for our own comfort and our own feeling, but Lord, may through the blessings that you show to us, may it display your glory and may your name be magnified. Go before us, Lord. Lead us and guide us and help us to make wise choices, choosing to be people of faith. We pray this in the precious name of our Savior, Jesus, the Messiah. Amen. God bless you. Have a great week.